Yes, yes, yes. What is up, General Strike Podcast family? It's another weekly edition of the show live on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, all those platforms, podcasts, all those platforms, though. I haven't updated the podcast in some time. I should do that. Probably been like a week or two. My bad. Uh, But a lot to get to in today's show. Ladies and gentlemen, we obviously have the aforementioned Alex Jones. Obviously, in the title, we're going to have to detail his appearance on the Joe Rogan podcast, I just feel like it's necessary. As somebody that used to watch Alex Jones, and not in like a like an ironic way, like I, as a kid growing up, I definitely was a conservative Fox News watching, Alex Jones watching conspiracy nut. So I think it's important to sort of decontextualize, deframe, uh, and de sort of program not only myself when I watch his shit, but also others that I think grew up in the age where Alex Jones in the you know early 2000s was the king of the internet the king of conspiracy theories let's just be honest about it uh so that's a big uh sort of reaction we have to get to i do also want to get to the kanye west episode as well with joe rogan though i don't know if we will i don't know if we're gonna have time because a lot i want to get into uh also labor party kicking out jeremy corbyn or suspending him uh that i think is going to be uh obviously a lightning rod of commentary of talking points but especially obviously in the uk more so than the u.s but it should be more of a um a topic of conversation in the u.s in the u.s political discourse because this is crazy this would be like the democratic party kicking out bernie sanders because apac wanted that to happen right like it would be sort of the equivalent to that to some degree um it's just insane that that happened we have some news from Bolivia, some tragic news as well from Bolivia, though the election is still a massive success. But unfortunately, a massive uh, leader of the MAS movement uh, was killed. So we have to detail that and obviously the reactionary fascist movement that has begun from that. Also going to play some clips from Joe Biden, uh, sort of responding to the growing protest movement in, uh, movements in Philadelphia, Washington, D.C. And I believe there's one other place uh, where another uh, person has unfortunately been tragically killed by the police. Um, so there's a lot to get to with that as well. Also, God, I know it's been a while. I apologize, but I just want to preface everything before we start with the show. Uh, I do believe we're going to play some Tim Pool uh, versus Vosh videos. Um, I don't know if we're going to have time for that, but hopefully we will. Uh, like I said, we have a lot to get to on today's show. So without further ado, uh, let's get to the Joe Rogan clips. And also, guys, hit the like button, share the show. Please share the show. Um, obviously, you know, it's a new show, so if people don't know it exists it's because it's not being shared so we have to get people to share the show so please do that um first let's play some obviously like i said alex jones clips because there's some wild ones out there um what should we do first anyone in the chat wants to let me know should we do like a hunter biden one a covid one a bohemian grove skull and bones one and epstein island oh that's probably the craziest should probably play that one first huh Let's go right into the fucking super insane, insane <laughs> shit. The Joe Rogan experience. Hold Who on, goes in hold there? Hold on, hold on, hold on, Joe. Hold on. We're getting down to set. We don't need 1080. We can just do 720. Let's be honest. Saves the CPU. Come on. Really? Ball of death right here? Let me remove that.
try now. <laughs> the Joe Rogan experience. Who goes like, in there? Well, people I like. I mean, Clint Eastwood's gone. He's not really a member. Look, look. Is it fun? Look, it's twenty. For those who don't know, the Bremen Grove, I think, is in like a northern LA, right? It's in like a not like the Beverly Hills, but it's in like the northern LA hills, maybe Malibu. I believe it's where it's at exactly. Um, it's basically a get together. I think a yearly get together of like actors, Hollywood elites, corporate elites. And they like play dress up and like have like fraternity like ceremonies. Like that's kind of what it is. Uh, most likely a lot, a lot of like just like sexual hedonism to a degree. But I mean, come on, who cares? 2,700 acres. It was set up by Mark Twain and it was a liberal deal for like hookers and, and gay dudes and just everything else. Just a big, huge. Would you say gay dudes? What? Gay dudes. Gay, oh, gay Alex dudes. Jones has a massive no, issue with like gay 1870s, people. When Mark Twain set up Not projection at all. It was partying. It was their own 2700 acres. It was saloons. They brought in female hookers. You know, it, it, you know, there was gay guys in there, everything. It was just, it was bohemian groups. Really upset about gay people. The people did whatever they wanted. And it, was, it, was, it was open. And they had like poetry and they had plays and they had all the rest of it. Then uh, by the time of Howard Taft became president, the Republicans basically bought it. So the reason it's important is the Republicans go there. To like, they ship in all these private hookers, all these jets land nearby, but they also have a lot of gay sex, which they use then to basically compromise people into the cult. And so there's a lot of gay sex. Well, how do you know this? Uh, it came out in news articles. No one ever got footage of it. I was in there for one day. I snuck in. I had people. I looked good back then. They hit on me a lot. I had like you know people I recognized from TV walking around. Hey, let's go right now. I mean, it's a big gay hookup deal for Republicans. <laughs> I'm just telling you what it is. And and then and, and then they've got this this ritual that's only the feeder group. So I'm sitting there during the ritual, and I'm like, hey, this is pretty cool. And the two go, shut up, or I'll kill you. And they're all taking it very seriously. And I'm not saying it's a gay thing. I'm saying that some so of that goes you, on. So you were saying it was cool, and people were getting angry that you were saying. No, it's no. Cool. I mean, I was just quietly going, oh, this is really interesting. And they're like, shut up. This is a very important ritual. And they were taking it very serious. This hearse comes in with the body of a child it is an effigy they're not killing yeah. it and well, they, it's and, just a bundle of sticks right yeah well it looks like a kid no later others infiltrated later that worked there and got us photos of it, so it Dude, was, the best part is i've watched most of this already to be honest uh most of it is just joe rogan being way too sober because he's sober this month he's not like smoking weed or drinking and he's obviously again way too sober for alex jones ranting and he's like no it's just a bundle of sticks like what, what are you doing here um it's what they're going to talk about in a second, and I want to sort of, sort of preemptively talk about it, um, they talk about how like the, the, these these acts of gay sex is sort of blackmail that Skull and Bones, that the Illuminati, whoever you want to call it, they're going to call them all of those names, that they, they use those acts as blackmail on other elites to then make them do what they want. And I always feel like that is such a, not always, but nowadays, obviously, um, that that is such a backwards way of like viewing like just class solidarity, because that's kind of what it is. Like, it's just a big get together where a bunch of elites go have sex and hang out and like put on robes and go do like theater shit, right? And build up the rich class solidarity, just like the Hamptons. It's like the same thing. You know, that's how I view it. It's like a theater um, kids version of the Hamptons. 
But like theater kids in Hollywood are like super elites as well. They're major neoliberal elites. So that's all it is. It's it's building class solidarity of the ruling capital class. It's not some big blackmail ceremony of like satanic worship. And I feel like now that I've like no longer obviously a, a watch of Alex Jones, I've been that for some time. It's just so apparent to me how like stupid this is. Like how ridiculous this way of thinking is that those elites just blackmail each other for satanic rituals instead of just having like-minded class interests. Because that's the far easier answer to why these people are getting together hanging out and why they have like-minded interests once they go out of these uh, sort of places of congregation. It's obvious. Bunch of a kid. It's a little kid. Because Moloch in, the, in, in, in biblical is who they, they sacrificed the Canaanite. It's a kids. bull, yeah. but they do it as an owl. They, they do it as an owl, yeah. But that's from the Bible is you would sacrifice a child to Moloch. Give not your yeah, children the to the fires of Moloch. Right. And, and, right. and so I've, I've given it to experts in religious history. It's not even you know from Christian perspective. Yeah. It's a Faustian deal mixed with Babylonian and religious stuff from Tyre. Yeah. It's quirky. It's like, look at that. Look at that owl god and look at the fire. Underneath the owl god. And there's Ronald Reagan. I mean, if you saw that, if you were in the woods and you just saw that, you would be terrified. And, and Richard Nixon opinion. said, Richard Nixon, on the Richard Nixon tape, says it's a gay orgy. Richard Nixon said that? You can pull up. Richard Nixon talks about. Yeah, Richard Nixon said something about it where he. It's the most uh, goddamn faggy thing you've ever seen. I think it's, I think it's just allowing. <laughs> <laughs> well, nothing against. That's what I'm saying. No, Alexander definitely something against gay people. Gay, that, are, that are that engage in gay acts in the woods, and then they have something on each other, similar to Epstein's Island. Where no, that's it's like, it. it, it it's, that's it, what it's it is. It's a rich. It's a. It's a. Yeah. It's a. It's like a fraternity doing that. You got to screw. So it yeah. is that part it. Is, hold on a second. What is this here? And they don't allow women. No. It says uh, founded in 1872 by no, a group no, no, of male. That's the context that YouTube has. Bohemian you talk Club. About Bohemian you can Club. tell like these guys like yeah, I've told... also like never been in a fraternity because like I've been in a fraternity and like there's some like weird, stupid, asinine rituals that happens in a fraternity, right? But like it's purely for show. It's purely some bullshit. Um, like I remember the last one. I'm not going to detail it in case they come after me. Uh, but like there's images of like. Of like God and the devil all through this ritual because it's all um, a metaphor for like Jesus. I think is basically what it was. I'm trying to remember exactly what the teaching was of this ritual, um, but like that's like pe- people have been doing that for a very long time. Of like these like secret organizations having very like bro haha like fraternity frat style rituals, and that's kind of what Bohemian Grove is. It's not again some massive conspiracy, you know, like, again, not like, I don't know, counterpole or anything like that. That's actual legit conspiracy. MK Ultra stuff that, you know, Jones legit does talk about, but he then adds satanic rituals and, like, gay orgies in the Bohemian Grove, which, I mean, there might be gay orgies there, but that's not in some act to get blackmail on each other. You know what I mean? They all probably assign NDAs anyways. They're rich people. That's what they do. Come on. Richard Nixon, Bohemian Grove, most (laughs) faggy goddamn thing he could ever imagine. Trigger warning. Yes, play it. 100% play it. I want to hear this. It's the Nixon tapes, yeah. Let me hear this. Nixon tapes are crazy, by the way. Super racist, homophobic, and xenophobic. Northern California. 
San Francisco is just gone. It's clear over. I know that, but it isn't. It isn't just down in the right part of town. Now. But the upper class in San Francisco is that way. The Bolivian Grove that I attend. No, oh, it's in the Bay. My bad. That was in L.A. San Francisco crowd. Nixon tapes are insane. Okay. So weird the, the owl and the. Uh, and you know, like this is what I want to talk about in sort of like de decontextualizing Alex Jones. He will add a lot of legitimacy to these conspiracies that he talks about, like the Nixon tapes. You bring in like legit issues or legit evidence like the Nixon tapes. You talk about um, real sort of CIA ops like MK Ultra stuff like that, that we know about. It's all been declassified. And he will then try to weave that into a narrative of like a second, third, excuse me, or like fourth order conspiracy of like a cabal of people that want to control us mass population and he gets about it it gets into especially when he talks about climate change on this episode i don't know if we're gonna talk about it or that's even in this video but he he, when he talks about climate change he talks about how like that is a conspiracy to get us to hate carbon and we are carbon and therefore we will be desensitized to um, sort of like mass population murder or genocide or control right and that is just insanity that he weaves again all these other legit sort of points of history into crazy conspiracies and then weaves all those different conspiracies into one that is global domination when instead it's just like dude like it's <laughs> it's like the capitalist order of our society like and the sad part is like jones does get close to it and so does like uh, Joe Rogan, so does, uh, I forget who the other guy is, Tim Dillon, I think, is the comedian with the free just lion shirt. Fucking gross. Um, but they get close to, same as like Kanye West, like they get very close to um, a systemic critique of our society that isn't just men in cloaks in the dark um, working through like God, the devil, and demons. Like it's not so batshit crazy like that you know it's it's it, it becomes they their criticism of some things is very material in nature and even at times a little bit class um a, a little bit of a class analysis as well but then it deviates quickly to a sort of religious zealotry at times it's very odd it's interesting and it I don't know how seriously they take it. I mean, that's a real question, right? Well, yeah, the, I, mean, I mean, the whole gay thing's a side issue. Right. The point is, is that I've talked to people that, that I mean, according to Ted Gunderson, the first time I ever heard about this was from this former high-level FBI agent who was going to be the FBI director, but he wouldn't go along with corruption, so he wasn't. It's on record. Gunderson almost became the FBI director. And he blew up, like, the things like the Franklin scandal, and he's been a... He's, and the Finders, yeah. and the Finders, Finders Club. Cult, which was huge. Yeah. Which where the CIA was caught Confirmed. trafficking. You know, the Finders is a cult that was caught trafficking children. And the CIA squashed the Florida. Uh, and then and, Gunderson got it yeah. raided in, in D.C. and, and right. found a whole CIA facility with the snuff films, everything. Telex machine. And so he told me yeah. about all this, and I thought he was crazy. Yeah. Even though he yeah. was Ted Gunderson. You told us about it, and we actually pulled up one of those stories. And I was correct. Yes, you're correct. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. So Ted so, Gunderson is the reason I know about this. And he said, he said that 
they get people interested with, with, with that ritual. Most, there's like 2,000 members, they bring about 1,000 guests. Not everybody can even bring a guest. Only like the head of each camp can bring a guest. Most of them are nice. Clint Eastwood goes there, you know, Danny Glover goes there, but it's Who? an all male deal. Who's the other one? Danny Glover. Oh, Danny Glover? I just mentioned who's Lethal on... Weapon Danny Glover? Yeah, I saw him there. How the fuck is he in there? They probably like him from the He's movie. He's just a fun guy. He's a I, great I guy. saw him when I was there. I saw Danny Glover. Interesting. I'm starting to believe this is not. I'm starting to believe we can get in. I'm starting to believe it's not that. Oh, exclusive. Joe Rogan, they'd have him in immediately. Uh, immediately. Not now. Do a podcast oh, from, in care. front of the owl. Hmm. But I just want to say that <laughs> overall, Why it started out as a, it, as a truly artsy liberal thing that I think is good. I think guys deserve to go off the woods like we've done since humans were humans and, right? and, and, and party and do whatever. Right. And, and so, and so it's, but the thing is, then the weird skull, here's what happened. About 1900 Skull and Bones that was at uh, Yale in New Haven, Connecticut, that was a German death cult, it took over Bohemian Grove, and that's when they set up that as the central deal. So it's this big, inviting, fun party. What happens at Skull and Bones? Because that's one of the other rumors Trust about me. Skull and Nothing. Bones. They you, compromise I you. I know. They compromise you so that you're always a part of this organization. Well, before he died, I did multiple interviews with Anthony Sutton, the top congressional advisor to Senator Frank Church. And we only know about Sutton because Charlotte Iserby, whose father was high-level Skull and Bones, gave him all of their internal manuals. And she's been a frequent guest. She's, she's retired now. America's secret establishment, an introduction to the Order of Skull and Bones. Yes. Okay. And so yes, this is this is a Russell Trust. Again, another uh, like bullshit fraternity order. 1776 to counter Trust our me. revolution by Adam Weishaupt. It funds the Jacobins. It funds the French Revolution. It's the, it's the opposite of a true egalitarian, open liberal revolution. It's the leftist. Always say they're the liberal. Liberal and leftist are two different deals. Leftist is left-hand past Satanism. Liberalism is egalitarian, open society, true liberalism. And so the left-hand path... I mean, at least, like, he... <laughs> I can't believe what I said. At least he said the left and the liberals aren't the same, right? Like at least he did that, guys. That's 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 good for us. Somebody in the chat saying Alex Jones founded Nambla. No, he didn't. Did he? <laughs> Alex Jones has talked to every guy just before he died. He did not found Nambla. No way. That's crazy if he did. Oh, I gotta find that out. Let me keep playing the clip though. Uh, set this up, and then they wanted they they sent all this opium money they had over in eighteen thirty one to Yale to set up a German secret society of the Illuminati, which then has become one of the dominant secret societies. And in there, they do actual satanic rituals. They get in uh, coffins. Uh, they 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 do simulated human sacrifices. They have gay sex as part of the ritual. They 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 bathe in uh, huge facilities of feces. Uh, this was this was uh, made by Robert De Niro. Made a uh, movie. Skull uh, and Bones are do, they're doing that stuff now. Absolutely, I know wow. somebody broke into it. But wow, who's the? Uh, How can they aren't doing that right now. Well, Matt Damon made a movie called The Good Shepherd. I think yes, and and in that it's Robert De Niro directed it. Okay, and that's super accurate. Where it's got the, the sword and the devil, and they're in they're in these big vats of cow manure. They they and, did leak a Facebook uh, photo album of a bunch of skull and bones kids hand on a deer island. It kind of looked like losers. I know they're not. <laughs> oh, oh, no, but, I know they're not, but they kind of look like losers. I mean, it was kind of like a embarrassing. lot of billionaires look like losers. Yeah, they look like emaciated. You were like, these are the these are the Illuminati. It was kind of like no. Ugh. I totally agree with you. Yeah, remember, remember ABC News because they wanted to get Bush in trouble right before the two thousand and four election. 
another frat was able to, because they're all doing this crap, right. shoot video down into it where they're going, devil equals death, Satan. And they had girls they finally brought into the membership. It was all boys before. Yeah. Sacrificing. So, of course, it's idiotic. It's training wheels for what they do. But inside, they go grave rob. They've got Geronimo's skull. Yeah, the George H.W. Bush stole, supposedly stole Geronimo's skull. Yeah, you got to do things like... I don't know if that, but that's a, that's a legend rumor thing. Well, yeah. It's, well, I... It's Probably been, true. It's been broken into. Yeah. Uh, one time the police went in there. But the point is, is that Skull and Bones, Order 322, is the Illuminati Germanic death cult that now set up chapters all over the U.S. And it took over Bohemian Grove around 1900. And so that's why Bohemian Grove is still this artisan, you know, deal of elitist artist. But then it got co-opted by the Republican Party in Skull and Bones. And Helmut Schmidt, German chancellor, wrote Men in Power as a political retrospective when he retired in the late 80s saying, I love our Illuminati rituals that we have in Germany, in our own sacred groves. But I think they've taken it to a new level with Skull and Bones at Bohemian Grove, and I really enjoy the time we have there. So these are just these elite institutions where, and, and Skull and Bones, I think they seek to like create uh, close friends amongst people that may not know each other, create loyalty amongst this group of people. That's why they got to tell them all the things they've yeah, done. Yeah, you got to tell them all the sexual history, all that stuff. They want these people to be loyal to each other, so when they... They're not loyal to the laws of America. They're loyal to this this oath that they take with each other. And exactly. And it's like a Team America. Descendant sues. Dude, again, that's where, like, it just just falls apart to me because people that are elites in the world, whether it be political elites or economic elites, they have like-minded interests. So regardless of any sort of gay sex that happens between them, they still want um, tax uh, reductions, uh, sort of t- corporate tax reductions. They want uh, less corporate regulation. Um, they want less labor regulation as well. Like these are the things that they all all have like mind interest for um, when it comes to sort of extrapolating wealth and um, poor, uh, cheap labor in sort of the global south or abroad. They they all have again a like minded interest. It's not this satanic ritualistic um, sort of order and cabal that governs the world. It's just a economic and political order that governs it. That's purely based on hierarchies. That's it. Skull and bones over Geronimo's bones. Documents yeah. show George. Let's uh, let's play a couple of the Kanye ones. I want to, I want to do that. Unless there's any other Alex Jones ones I want to play. That's really the only one I want to play. Um, let's talk about why he's running for president. I haven't really seen these. <laughs> the Joe Rogan experience. So what what are you doing? You running for president? Uh, yes. What made you decide to do that? Aren't you busy enough? Hold on one second. Clothing company, successful rapper, family man. It was something that God put on my heart back in <laughs> 2015. Oh my God! Uh, crazy. A few days before the MTV Awards, it just oh. it hit me in the shower. And when I first thought of it, I just started like laughing to myself, and it, 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 it like all this like joy came over my over my body, just through through my soul and. 
I could just, I, I just felt that what? energy. I felt that spirit. So then two days later, what? I uh, accepted the Michael this Jackson Video Vanguard Awards at the uh, MTV Awards. And um, I, instead of performing, you know, my array of hit songs, you know, I gave uh, just my perspective on award shows. But always I, I knew at the end I was going to tell people I'm, I'm running for office. I'm running for president in 2020. And, you know, just to have the, it, it, it even took heart to say it in that context. And people were just like, oh, like their, their minds were blown. And then I was hanging out with different, uh, I had different friends that were, you know, some people in the music industry, some people, tech elites, different things like that. And they would um, really, you know, they just really took it as a joke. And they're telling me all these millions of reasons why I couldn't run for president. I remember running into Oprah two days or one day after that. And she's like, you don't want to be president. And, you know, people just, <laughs> you know, thought projecting, putting this on you. And I, I remember saying uh, one of my responses to one of the people that one of the naysayers was, well, I'll definitely be a billionaire by that time. Uh, and not that that's a reason why someone should become president. Dude. But it's to say, you know, at that time I was what? uh fifty around fifty million dollars so, in debt. And uh <laughs> what I'm hearing from 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 Easy over here is why he wanted to be president and run for president was because God told him in the shower and he laughed because and it brought so much joy to his soul because God told him. And you know, he could be a he's gonna be a billionaire by this time, so why not? That is fucking crazy. Oh, my God. I knew I had the confidence that I would be able to turn that around. And now, you know, just going into... I want to just give you a... a, a, that That's a clear answer. Right. I know what you're saying. I don't want to go off on too much. No, it's okay. What you're Mm -hmm. basically saying is you know how to set goals, you know how to achieve them. What? What was Oprah's rationale when she said... (laughs) What? 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 How did Joe Rogan take? Uh, yeah, God told me in the shower that you know I, I should be president, and you know I when somebody told me that I couldn't, I told him, "Hey, I'm gonna be a billionaire by that time." What in that spiel led Joe Rogan to think, "Oh, that means you are good at setting goals"? What? President, like, what was she saying? What? Remember when people were saying? That that's our next what? president. Remember what? when Trump got elected? You know they showed Oprah and they were saying like there was I believe it was like NBC tweeted it. This is our next president. Like they a lot of people wanted Oprah to want to run and they felt like if Trump could win, Oprah could win. When I saw Trump win, I was like, see, you can win. Outside, you know, I was um, you can win if you're coming from outside of politics. I was young when Ronald Reagan was in. Was president. I don't remember. But Ronald Reagan was the governor of California before he was the president. He had actually proven himself as a politician, mm-hmm. at least somewhat. <laughs> Pro- proven himself by you know restricting to, to be governor constitutional of rights to be governor of California. So anyone's better than this guy. <laughs> just do, do, just go ahead, start there. Give yeah. it a shot. Open it, things up again, man. I guarantee I you, even though Gavin Newsom's a neoliberal shit stain. Uh, uh, that's related I, I to Nancy Pelosi. He's better than Kanye was. To be I mean, it's not. It's not rocket science. 
not not i mean if if it's in god's plan that part of my path is to be the governor then that's fine but my calling is to be the leader of the free world so when you say the leader of the free world the leader of the free world what what does that mean to you does that does it mean do you have a plan that's different than the plans that have been implemented before does it mean that you have ideas What, what kind of plan like the plan to be the leader. Like, what would you do if you were the leader of the, fle- of the free world? Like, what would be different about the way you handle things? Like, if that's your plan, like, what is it about that 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 is your calling? Like, why would why also would you isn't that a little that? bit of uh, what do you want to do differently if you were the like leader? The term Can you say like I'm I'm well, gonna lead the free world? Uh, but well, how's it free if you're leading? There's a couple questions in there. You said why is you know why is that your calling? There's people who say to me, you know, they'll say. Well, music is bigger than politics or more influential than politics or That's celebrities are more influential. And That's not true. Uh, I thought of it like if I was a pastor of a 100,000-person church, but then I was also um, uh, a captain, a sailor, and then we went to war, and I said, I'm going to man this ship that has he a went thousand from, he went from people, a pastor thousand to soldiers uh, on it because God is calling me. A, sh- a ship captain? To take this position, I'm confused about what job he has right now. Is he is he the pastor pastor on the ship? You know, however big my audience is in hip hop, uh, in music, or as a just an influencer or celebrity, uh, or just as a dad and a and a, a husband in my house, the world is like there. There couldn't be a better time to put a visionary in the in the captain's chair um and that's not to say we we haven't had visionaries be dude uh, your visionary is like shitty shoes man down any of the other like what are you uh, talking about i'm not here to down trump down biden uh i'm just here to express why um uh this is why this is crazy god has called me to take this position so when you uh-huh. say a visionary, you you think of yourself in in terms of like as an artist, as a creator, as someone someone who has these thoughts that they manifest in in terms of music and art and creation and design, the things that you do. Mm-hmm. That's why you you think you're different as a, as a visionary. Dude, you yeah, you being able to like I, lay down that, like a mix on Pro I think Tools I'm different from. I mean, is we're like all different. vastly no, different, different than different like trying to uplift the working class. I mean, I do, Bump into it's very different than trying to, to negotiate, side of, yeah. you know, like, sort of people, deals yeah, and peace treaties the same roles, like, I just in regards to foreign policy. You're, you're just like the head of this company over here, you're the same yeah. kind of person. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I manifest. The country's I not a company. I, I'm a great leader because I listen and I'm empathetic and I feel the entire earth and I feel us as a what? as a species as the the human race like i did, sometimes people think of uh utopia as almost like a negative word that's that's like we couldn't have that but i do believe in world peace like the people hit me with the oh, one of the things oprah said is she said you got to bone up on your foreign affairs i remember this like because it's oprah talking right. so i'm gonna remember a lot <laughs> of what the conversation was but that's the first thing she said was you know, uh, foreign affairs and foreign policies. Like, just I think the reason why I say leader and not politician, name one policy specifically, uh, president is 
uh, this is the time. You know, when, when the Constitution was written, that was an innovation. Now, the world has yeah. innovated all around our political system. Episodes of the Joe Rogan Experience are now... That was so bad. I don't know how anyone can argue that Kanye West should be in charge of the, of the government in the country. I just... I don't know who can really realistically argue that right now. It's just insane. Insanity. And look, here's the uh, like overall like critique of like Joe Rogan is that he platforms people like this and like largely doesn't like push back on them at all. Like think about it, his pushback was non existent. Even with like Alex Jones, it was minimal. It was just like a uh a tone of annoyance more than a I'm gonna actually question the the sort of statements that you are declaring here on my platform. He doesn't do that. He really doesn't. And if he questions it, you'd be like, is that is that true? And then Alex Jones is like, yeah, it's true, trust me. I, I know from this guy. I know from this person. I've talked to tons of scientists. And they're just keep ranting. So he doesn't actually get like called out for his inaccuracies ever. And, I mean, come on, Joe Rogan is just as just as idiotic as Kanye West. So he's not going to push back on him at all. And plus, that's one of his big biggest guests ever, let's be honest. So, of course, he's not going to push back on Kanye West. Uh, moving on to some actual news out there in the world and in politics. Let's talk about Labor Party. Um, did they suspend Jeremy Corbyn? What did they exactly do? I forget. Did they kick him out? Once they suspended him. Um, I could be wrong about that, but anyways, Jeremy Corbyn has been, I'm going to say suspended from the Labor Party, uh, due to accusations of anti-Semitism. These accusations have been old and they've been around for some time. Um, they're generated from the Equality, uh, and Human Rights Commission, which is a independent, but still, um, state-run or at least state-funded organization or institution um and also institution that i think has had a lot of question marks about its credibility in the uk uh, around the same time that the claims against jeremy corbyn were made there was also massive claims against the tory party for islamophobia i think it was like two or three hundred different uh incidents of islamophobic either messaging rhetoric actions, whatever it may be, from the Tory party, from the Conservative Party. Also, one of the uh, commissioners from uh, the EHRC, the Equality and Human Rights Commission, is a massive donor to the Conservative Tory party. Um, so there's obviously question marks about the legitimacy of this institution and how uh, how equal it is and whether or not this was a, not that whether or not, it is a political smear campaign. It just, it clearly was. Um, Jeremy Corbyn, for a very long time, has been critical of the state of Israel for its treatment to Palestinians. And for a long time, liberals and conservatives want to treat criticism to the state of Israel, to the government of Israel, as anti-Semitic. And that's just asinine. Like, it just truly is. Um, 
everybody likes stating that criticisms to the state of Saudi Arabia are Islamophobic. No, they are not. They are not. Um, everybody likes stating critiques of the U.S. government is uh, bigoted towards Christians. Like it would be something to that effect. It'd be it'd be asinine to really say that. Um, Israel has a, a long running history and um, track record of dehumanizing the their Palestinian neighbors, and this has been an act that has been ongoing and has st- going on to this day. Okay, in Gaza, the West Bank, and other areas. So this is not a unknown issue. So the the attack on Jeremy Corbyn was in large part due to how potentially revolutionary his politics would have been, not only to the Labour Party itself, but obviously the entire UK. Uh, his policy for worker co-ops, I believe, and like many other Marxists believe, would have been revolutionary in that country. Okay? Uh, we're going to play a clip from Jeremy Corbyn talking about sort of, uh, I think this was back in his campaign, was in 2018, right? Was, was when they ran the campaign? Uh, where he lost to Boris Johnson. And again, where he dealt with massive, massive, and obviously the um, the e, uh, was EHRC, their sort of dossier, or what was it called? Their sort of um, file on Jeremy Corbyn, the Labour Party was going to be put out after the campaign, and that was always sort of hung over Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party as a massive issue. And I think that actually hurt them in the election. Let's play this clip from Jeremy Corbyn. There's a lot of debate about what's happening in the Labour Party at the present time, and uh, I'm inundated with questions, questions, questions all the time. And I have patience that is infinite to answer questions, questions, and questions. But one I got today really did puzzle me. They said, um, how are you coping with the pressure that's on you? I simply said this. There is no pressure on me. None whatsoever. Real pressure Real pressure, real pressure, is when you don't have enough money to feed your kids. When you don't have a roof over your head. When you're wondering if you're going to be cared for. When you're wondering how you can survive. You're wondering how you're going to cope with the debts you've incurred. You're wondering if your lovely employer is going to give you a call to give you a couple of hours' work or not bother, or change their mind when you're on the bus on the way to do their job. That is the real pressure in our society. For those people struggling on low pay, struggling on zero-hours contracts, not knowing what's coming from one week to the other, not knowing if they'll be able to pay the rent, not knowing if they're going to be homeless, not knowing if their children will end up in care. 
That's the kind of brutal pressure that's put on people every day of the week in this country. That's why you had the entire UK establishment coalesce against this guy. It's similar to Bernie Sanders in a lot of ways. Like, There's a reason why their campaigns were often uh, juxtaposing a paradigm only in um, sort of political disc- or U.S. political discourse overall, but especially in the left. Um, these two guys were speaking to a, a, a working class sort of policy set, um, sort of a working class populism, and they were setting in action and in order to completely and fundamentally change our society. That's just the reality, okay? Especially Jeremy Corbyn, more so than Bernie Sanders. And that's why the attack on him was probably more vicious than Bernie Sanders, to be quite honest, because Bernie Sanders was far more of a social democrat and sort of a, uh, a simple American social democrat as well, while you know Jeremy Corbyn was very clearly uh, a, a socialist with great Marxist leaning. That's just the reality. And he was going to move the Labor Party left, especially compared to like the, the, the Blairite era, right, in the early 2000s of the Labor Party. Um, you know, when you talk about sort of, again, the working class in that way, in that sort of empathetical way, liberals and conservatives can't do that. They And they also feel innately attacked for some reason when anyone says that sort of rhetoric about the working class. I think that's very odd. I don't know. I don't know why, especially liberals. They have such a significant reaction to people wanting uh, other people to have a better life. Simple as that. Uh, we have some unfortunate news out of Bolivia, though. Um, uh, Bolivian mine, mining union leader uh, Orlando Gutierrez uh, was tragically killed uh, by. Uh, by a fascist gang in the wake of the elections. Um, this guy was... This guy had some really awesome moments in the election, in the movement. He was a massive leader of the movement. He was someone that was pushing um, MAS forward when Evo obviously was kicked out of the country. And there's a reason why he was targeted because he was such a massively leader uh, of MAS as a whole. And just, it, it's, it's, it's honestly very tragic to see this, because I remember seeing clips of him and, um, all over the uh, election cycle, to be honest. I remember watching videos of him over and over again. Like This guy was amazing to listen to. We're actually going to play a, a clip. Let me see if I can find I thought I had it up. Here it is, right here. Okay. Hold on, let's bring it on the Hold on, let's bring it full screen here. In this election, what we are asking for is unity above all. 
There are differences, but there, there has to be common ground. Today, the people cannot afford to lose. That's how we, the working class, see it. We have to rebuild Bolivia. They have destroyed mining, hydrocarbon. All the production apparatus is dead with this de facto government. And now with Lucha, with David, the people, and the unions, the social organizations, the people as a whole will rebuild Bolivia. That type of that type of populism, that type of populism is just. I feel like it's so rare in American politics, but you see it all over the global South, and it's always just amazing to see. And it's just so sad that his his life is gone, honestly. And this is not going to be a one time thing. It feels like uh, since the election, fascist groups and gangs have been outside military bases asking for them to have another coup against MAS. I mean, this is ridiculous now. You know, when I was receiving a lot of hate from Bolivians, Bolivian Americans, Bolivian Canadians, Bolivians overall, um, right-wing, you know, fascist Bolivians, that, you know, this is all about, you know, freedom and liberty and how the election process was ruined by MAS and Evo Morales. And look at them here, not being able to accept an election process. I don't know what that question means. Read this in the chat. Saying, do you have Mitchell or Phil? I don't know what that means. I don't know what that is. I apologize. Um, but other news in the global south, especially in South America, Chile uh, in a landslide election and referen- referendum have decided to rewrite their constitution, which was written by the fascist dictatorship of uh, Augusto Pinochet. So this is massive news. And similar to, like, the overall movements that we've been seeing, like, um, oh, Rebus, now I get the question. Bryce Mitchell. Bryce Mitchell, for sure. He's on terror right now. I know he's kind of, like, an idiot, but uh, I think Bryce Mitchell is going to, possibly beat up Andre Feely. I think Bryce Mitchell is really de- a, a decent prospect, to be honest. Um, thank you for the MMA question. Also, you know, I I wanted to do MMA show today. I don't know if I have time to do that today. Uh, so I'm going to have to do that like tomorrow morning. But I, I want to go to a rally, a counter-protest against Proud Boys in L.A. tomorrow. So uh, it's just a lot, to, a lot to do right now. A lot. Um, but digressing back to Chile. Amazing news to see and... I mean, the movements there, the, 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 the mass protests, the, the years and years of violent oppression that people had to endure to get this, it's amazing to see. It's amazing to see, honestly. Um, I think there's one more. Oh, yeah, this, this video is cool. Intellisaur. I mean, look at that. Look how many people there are, man. That's amazing to see. Amazing right there. If this doesn't give you life, I don't know what will. Which is like an American leftist. It's a pretty uh, depressing time, let's be honest. Uh, speaking of depressing, we've had a, a several uh, 
killings and murders from police towards uh, black men. Again, in D.C., in Philadelphia, uh, it seems to be getting a little bit crazy at times. And to all the people on the ground protesting, be safe and continue to fuck up the system. Guys doing a great job down there, especially in in Philly. Uh, I'm gonna play this clip. It's just, it's heartbreaking. I think it's people should see this shit, right? Um, Karen Hilton was killed in D.C., run over by by the police, and murdered. His mother was protesting at the police station or police department, and after this video, she was pepper sprayed. Um, I I don't believe it's caught on video, um, but after the video, she was pepper sprayed. You're defending a building, I'm defending my son. That's what she said. Dude, this is... Property is not more important than people's lives, man. I don't know how long it's going to take for our society to get that. You know? Like the fact that we still have this conversation of, like, what's more important, property or human lives, and especially black lives, is ridiculous. And this has been going on for hundreds of years, okay? Those who don't understand why this is an issue, especially in our liberal bourgeoisie society, please, please watch our last documentary episode that was just published yesterday. Um, detailing the Haitian Revolution. Because that's, especially in the French Revolution as well, because that is why we're in this sort of cognitive dissonance when it comes to what we have been told our society is about and how our society acts. Okay? With the, fr- with the French, um, uh, the Declaration of Rights of Man, it stated that one of the sort of inalienable rights, right? I think they don't use that term, I forget. Um, one of their natural rights is that, is of property. We have the right of property. Okay? You have the right to freedom, liberty, equality, property, and from oppression, right? Like that, what, those were the natural rights that were given to us right in the rights of man and that most of sort of liberal society has been built upon those again natural rights you have to realize and i think that people don't realize like how big of a contradiction that was at a time and even more so than like our declaration of independence right where like all men are created equal right um life liberty and pursuit of happiness this was even more egregious because it said property Right, and at the time, obviously, slavery existed. Slavery existed in the French colonial empire. French, uh, I mean, slavery existed in obviously all European empires at that time. 
And imagine if you have this, again, this inherent contradiction in not only policy, but in sort of uh, national indoctrination, okay? That everyone is created free and equal, but you have a right to property. What if your property is a human being? And if you don't know what people, how that conversation happened 200 years ago and how ineffective the conversations were in the National Assembly in France and such, I think you will honestly have a hard time understanding why we still have this issue. Because it was never fundamentally dealt with in any way. And when it was dealt with, it was quickly uh, reverted by a significant authoritarian in Napoleon Bonaparte. Okay, and again, go watch the documentary episode. I implore everyone to go do that. Even if you want to go do it right now, go do it right now. It's worth it. Um, and there's a timestamps too if you want to skip to the Haitian Revolution part. But I, I implore you to also watch the French Revolution. I think it's important to contextualize both events since they happen concurrently. Um, but again, if you, if we are living in a society that has preached, indoctrinated us that property is a natural right that we all possess. Yet we all possess freedom and equality and liberty. Then how can we function as a society? Because we are naturally contradicting ourselves. The basis of our capitalistic order is on the enslavement of people in some fashion, whether through wage labor or through out-and-out slavery. Right? At what point do we reconcile with our contradiction? our cognitive dissonance in our liberal society. That's what we have to do. And what it comes to is that the ideas of property being such a primary motive of society has to be abolished in some fashion. The private property, the accumulation of it, the the adoration of it, like that cultural, global fact has to be dealt with because it's not real. And on top of it, that natural right to property has led to people oppressing others for hundreds and hundreds of years. Let's just be honest about it. Um, play another clip. I think this one's from Philly. Yeah, this one's from Philly. Like I said, Philly's, I think, doing great stuff, really going after the police. There was a lot of videos of like police having to like, run away from the protesters. I love seeing that. I love that. Like, make them fear us, to be honest. Like, that's what we have to do. Like, we're the people, okay? And as I play this clip, let me, let me find another quote that I want to read really fast. I think it's really important. Love to see it. Love to see it. That's a cop fan. Awesome. 
right? It, it's I'm trying to find. There's a quote from an unknown how uh, CLR James, an historian, calls him as an unknown anarchist in the Haitian Revolution. It's a great quote. I'm trying to find it really fast. I think it to me it it defines sort of how we should talk about looting when it comes to these protests because I believe a lot of people want to want to demonize sort of the violent reaction of oppressed people. I think that's just that's just ridiculous, right? Like the the violence of um or the revenge of oppression, the revenge of racism is never as violent as the oppression of property, the oppression of hierarchy. Like that's just it's just not true. And then plus when it comes to like burning government buildings or property, which is, you know, cop car, stuff like that. That's stuff that we pay for. Stuff that our blood, sweat, and tears, in terms of our labor, has produced. Okay? So we have an absolute right to burn that down, because it's ours. Okay? That's the reality. Okay, that Walmart down the street that has torn up all of, you know, your local Main Street, all small businesses having to be destroyed because of that local Walmart. Well, guess what? We also work at that local Walmart. We deal with that local Walmart. Our taxes go to subsidize that local Walmart. Our blood, sweat, and tears in terms of our labor, in terms of what we produce, we can absolutely take away. And not only that, when it comes to, at times, dealing with oppression, we sometimes have to take those things away. Okay? That's just the reality. Like, call it looting, thuggery, scorched earth, call it whatever you want. I don't care. But that's just the reality. Okay? And... I'll be honest, I think that's going to take a lot more for things to change. And that's just the sad truth. We're going to play a clip here from Huey P. Newman, one of the founders of, obviously, Black Panthers, uh, talking about due process. I thought it was a good clip. The police are there not to, uh, in our community, not to uh, promote our welfare or uh, for our security and our safety, but they're there to contain us, uh, to uh, brutalize us and murder us uh, because they have their orders uh, to do so. A police in our community couldn't possibly be there uh, to uh, protect our property because we own no property. Uh, they uh, couldn't possibly be there to see that uh, we receive the due process of law for the simple reason that uh, the police themselves deny us the due process of law. And so it's very apparent that the police only in our community, uh, not for our security, but the security of the uh, business owners in the community, and also to see that uh, the status quo is kept intact 
that? When we first started, we had a police alert patrol, and uh, we would uh, patrol the community. We, if we saw the police uh, brutalize anyone, we'd put an end to this. Usually, the police wouldn't brutalize anyone if we were on hand because we were armed, and uh, if the police arrested the individual, we'd follow him to the jail and bail the individual out. Uh, whether it was a panther or not, and we would gain many recruits like this. So, therefore, the community started to uh, to uh, to say that well, these people are really concerned about our welfare. We got to do that more. Honestly, direct action. Like you go around and see cops fucking people, stop that cop. If you can't stop the cop, follow the cop. Make sure that person's okay. Make sure they don't fuck with that person. Follow them to the police station. Bail them out. If you can, of course. If you can't bail them out, hey, there's plenty of uh, local uh, um, sort of bail fund organizations that are leftists that you can find, especially in big cities. If you're in a big city, it helps. If you're smaller, you know, rural areas, it, it is harder. But that's what we have to do, direct action. If you're in states where you can be armed, be armed. That's just the reality. You know, I flipped a lot on sort of um, gun laws just because of the reality of our U.S. militant system, whether it be from my like cops being militant towards the people or the people being militant towards other people. So I have to be just prepared for that. Uh, again, the unfortunate reality. And here's old Joe Biden. God fucking Joe Biden here, right? Talking about how looting can't be tolerated here. Let's get this full screen. Fucking Joe Biden. God. I hate Biden so much. I hope everyone knows that. The reason I couldn't vote for him. Vote for Gloria Lariva. Vote for Gloria Lariva if you can. If you can't, write her in. Let's play it now. We need to vote for the legacy of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She is proof. The courage, conviction, and moral clarity can change the world without being vicious and mean. She and Justice Scalia disagreed on everything, but they were friends. They disagreed. We got to get back to that. <laughs> yeah, they disagreed on everything, but they were best friends, you know? We have to get back to that. We're, we're going to all disagree and just. You can still be friends and pal around. God damn. Politics has become so ugly and mean and disruptive. It's so mean. Politics so but mean. We can be the voices for justice in her name. We Was politics mean towards like Iraqi people in the early 2000s? Was politics mean towards like all of socialist groups in Latin America in the 20th century? Good old Joe Biden. Hmm. Was politics mean to the people of Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam? Hmm. Was politics mean to the, what, three million people you deported as vi vice president? No? Oh, okay. We have to make our voices heard. You have to vote. You have to vote because while Donald Trump fails to contend white supremacy, we can deliver on racial justice. No, you Donald can't. Trump, he what? doesn't believe there's any such thing as systemic racism as a problem. He won't even say Black Lives Matter. 
Well, you know and I know black lives do matter, and so do others. That's why this season of protest has broken out all across the nation. Let me make it clear. Protesting is not burning, it's not looting, it's not violence, and must never be tolerated, and it won't. But it should be. These protesters it is. are cry That is protesting. Justice. Protesting but is burning and looting. Long, long had the knee of injustice on their neck. The names George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, Jacob Blake, I bet all the fans, they're not soon going to be forgotten. Not by me, not by us, you almost and forgot not the name. by this country. Like, you literally just almost forgot the name, too, Biden. So, like, what are you talking about? I have no idea what's going to happen in November. We're going to inspire a new wave of justice in America. But true justice is also about economic justice, justice in education, housing, access to capital, good-paying jobs. Access and to capital. Oh, woo! Get some access to capital, guys. Don't get capital. You get access to it. And by the way, you get access to a Lambo at your local car dealership too. Has been analyzed you can't afford it. On Wall Street. You know what they say? They say my plan will create 18.6 million good-paying jobs, seven million more than he's going to be able to create if he got elected. And a trillion dollars more in economic growth. What he's forgotten, when you all do better, everybody does better. Everybody does better. It's not a zero-sum game. It's about financial stability and giving families of color a real shot to own a home, to start a business, to send a child to college debt-free so it can build the wealth, pass on opportunity, down through generations. That's how every white family that came from my background got it. They were able to get a house, build an equity, pass it on, and grow it. That's if you have no starting we wealth and capital, it's impossible to accumulate to generational wealth and capital. As well. This administration approach isn't working. Cuba's no closer to freedom and democracy today than it was four years ago. In fact, there are more political prisoners and secret police are as brutal as ever. And Russia, once again, Russia. has a major presence in Havana. What? So much for his policy. President Trump can't advance democracy and human rights for the Cuban people or the Venezuelan people. Um, for that matter. What? When he has embraced so many autocrats around the world. Starting with Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un of North Korea. Trump is the worst possible standard bearer for democracy. <sighs> This motherfucker. This motherfucker right here. This motherfucker just compared Maduro and Cuba to, first off, Russia and North Korea. What? What the fuck are you talking about? What are you saying? Okay. Oh, my God. First off. North Korea is a Maoist state, okay? Like, in like a very traditional Maoist state, okay? It's a very traditional Maoist communist state, okay? You can call it authoritarian if you want. Like, I don't think that's really a point of contention, but it's definitely not comparable to the capitalist state of Russia right now, which is autocratic, right? I mean, to a degree. I mean, there's these elections, right, that I think people disparage to some degree, but, I mean... 
it is pretty much an autocratic capitalistic order, right? It's not a communist country. So to compare North Korea and Russia is just asinine. And also to compare North Korea, which is a, like, again, a very traditional, like, Maoist state in a lot of ways, and maybe even, like, a, with some Stalinist tendencies. To compare that to a pretty, like, run-by-the-mills, like, democratic socialist country in in Venezuela, let's just be honest about it, and then to compare it to a, again, nowadays, a more of a democratic socialist country, um, which was, like, a Marxist, like, Leninist country originally, right? Like, it... Like, the, like these, these are all distinctly different political ideologies that run these countries, and also the economic systems that we talk about with these what, four countries are different in vast ways and, you know, marginal ways, right? Like, I would say, like, Cuba and Venezuela nowadays have a very comparable economic system. Um, maybe you could compare, like, Nicolas Maduro's Venezuela to, like, 1970s Cuba. It's a little bit different, but nowadays they're pretty much democratic socialist countries. And North Korea is not that, you know, even though they have a lot of um, shared socialist and communist sort of history to some degree, they don't have the same economic orders, to be quite honest. They don't. So it's just a very weird comparison. And again, Russia is the outlier. Like, I, the, the fact that we still have liberals using Russia in this equation is just... I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's purely ignorance to to how Russia is not a communist country anymore or if it's just like 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 your like CD player. I know this is like old reference to like the Zoomers that listen in. But like your CD player that's broken just playing like the same like line or same song over and over again, right? Like it's this old neolib mentioning Russia, Russia, Russia because he comes from a time where you know, at the end of the Cold War, you still said that. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Because these countries are nothing alike. To be quite honest. Especially Russia. Russia is nothing like Venezuela. It is nothing like Cuba. They might have strong economic ties to this day. But that's because they've had strong economic ties for decades. Preceding Putin. And the fall of the Soviet Union, right? So, that's why these economic sort of ties between these countries in terms of trade hasn't changed okay but it's funny because like the after the fall of the soviet union i would almost argue that like russia has competed more in the capitalist order with the u.s post the fall of the soviet union than before but before it wasn't trying to compete in the capitalist order now it is but digressing let's keep watching joe biden Say stupid shit. In places like Cuba, Venezuela, oh North Korea, for my entire career, I stood for democracy and human rights, for freedom of the press, assembly, freedom of religion. You supported coups. You supported coups. Right. You supported coups against Vote. democratically elected officials. It's Fuck you. Fuck you. The administration you. says it cares so much are deporting hundreds of Cubans and Venezuelans back to their dictatorships. 
Trump loves to talk, but he doesn't care about Cuban and Venezuelan people. He won't even grant temporary protective status for Venezuelans fleeing the oppressive regime of Maduro, who I've met with, and he's a thug. Folks, I will. Why? But we have to vote. And finally, we have to vote to meet the challenge of the climate crisis. This guy doesn't understand much of anything. You've all seen the impact more than most. Devastating hurricanes that lay waste to whole communities. Economic toll is astounding. It grows every year. And the human toll is worse. Lost lives, lost homes, small businesses shattered. First responders put at risk. When you talk about global warming, Donald Trump thinks hoax. Well, then he says we should, by the way, do you know this is the guy who is the uh, stable genius? Remember, he's the guy that said our problem in the Revolutionary War, we didn't have enough airports. God's truth. He's also the guy when he talked about how many bad hurricanes are coming across the warm waters of the Atlantic from Africa. He said, maybe we should nuke them. And also, by the way, you know, you know, windmills cause cancer, according to him. Look, what's this guy talking about? What are you talking well, we about? We know that we got to do something about it. What? Combating climate change means jobs. We can unleash the American ingenuity and manufacturing to build a stronger, more climate-resistant nation, creating millions of new, high-paying jobs. And we can change the path we're on. But we've got to act now. This country can't afford to wait four more years of Donald Trump's denial, who thinks the only responsible, only responsible to the people who voted for him. I don't see the presidency that way. I don't see the presidency that way. In 2008, in 2012, Florida placed their trust in me and Barack. And each day we're in office, we worked as hard for you and the entire country as we did not red states, blue states. It was always the United States of America. It's always the corporations. It's always Citibank. Folks, I was reminded of that earlier this month when I, I visited the sacred so grounds of Gettysburg. Abraham Lincoln taught us that we need to unite our nation, that a house divided cannot stand. And I was reminded of it earlier this week when I went to Warm Springs, Georgia, reflecting on FDR taught us about the need to heal the nation. I'm running as a proud Democrat, but I'll govern as an American president to unite and to heal. I'll work as hard for those who didn't support me as those who do. That's the job of the president, a duty of caring, caring for everyone. And you, too, have a sacred duty, if I may say, and that's to vote. It matters. Florida matters. In these final days, stay empowered. Stay optimistic. Stay united. Make a plan and vote and help get out the vote. Visit IWillVote.com FL. Return your ballot today. God, there's two more minutes of this. We're probably going to stop. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this. I forget the exact stat. I don't have it up. It was like 20-something percent of Cubans, uh, I think, vote for Democrats. And the rest vote for Republicans. Uh, or at least like in terms of like, uh, in favor of Trump, maybe. I forget the exact way the 
the poll was, and then I think it was Puerto Ricans, it was flipped. It was, you know, 70%, whatever it was, for Democrats and 20-20% for Republicans. Man, the Cuban-American community, you guys, you guys have some very, very pro-capitalist propaganda that you guys need to be deprogrammed. And I don't know how we're going to do that. That shit's... I mean, <laughs> it is so ingrained, man. It is so ingrained into some Cuban Americans. Same with like anyone that comes from like an expat from socialist countries, right? They always tend to have very anti-socialist views. That's because like their parents or grandparents were supporters of awful fascist corporate regimes, right? Like that's just the reality. Especially in Cuba, I mean, the, the Batista regime is empirically worse in every single way. Like it's not even questionable. I mean, I forget the number of like uh, illiteracy, illiteracy illiteracy rates in Cuba before Castro and after Castro. Like it's significant. It is significant. Um, Rebus is in his, uh, Pennsylvania. Oh. Um, I'm sort of the first two. And I thought you were talking about sports. I was like, I was in, talking about college sports or something. I was like, no, I don't care about Arizona or anything like that. Talking about states and electoral college. Um, Rebus in the chat is saying, first off, Rebus fanboy is a funny name. I got to say that. Uh, I just bet on Democrats in Florida electoral college at plus 145. I think that's not a bad bet. Uh, he said Arizona is plus 100 for Dems. Wow, these are close. Pennsylvania is minus 175 for Biden. Pennsylvania is going to be a close one, too. I'll be honest. I think I think Pennsylvania and Florida are going to be the two big states in terms of, like, how this election goes. Maybe maybe you get, like, again, like a, a Michigan or Illinois coming into it and being a wild card. But I think Pennsylvania and Florida are going to be massive wild cards. Maybe Arizona, too. But I don't think Arizona is as important. I think Florida and Pennsylvania, for some reason, especially with all the pundits are saying, is important. So I'm I'm looking towards that as well. Um, rapper No Name, shout out to No Name, she's awesome. Uh, had a quote that she posted on Twitter from W. E. B. Dubois, which I thought was a great quote. In 1956, I shall not go to the polls. I have not registered. I believe that democracy has so far disappeared in the United States that no. Two evils exist. There is but one evil party with two names. It will be elected despite all I can do or say. And, I mean, I've seen still a lot of discourse online about the the idea of their party voting, not voting. At this point in time, I'm going to recommend everyone to do what's in their conscience, to be quite honest. If you have not voted yet and you still don't know what to do and you're in a swing state... I mean, I'm not going to tell you to do anything right now. I I think I I know what I think you should do, and I've said it before. But look, I just ranted about how Joe Biden sucks for like eight minutes, right? Like Joe Biden's the fucking worst. Like I I, I truly hate neoliberalism. Uh, I think it is more grotesque and more hip, uh, obviously uh, uh, layered in hypocrisy than conservatism. So if you don't want to vote for Joe Biden, I'm I'm not going to blame you. I don't think you should be voting for like the Libertarian Party, right? Like I don't think you should be voting for Kanye West, 
But if you want to vote for Green Party or PSL, do it. Do it. That's on you, man. And I, I'm at this point. It's too. It's it's one of those elections where the divide between fascism and neoliberalism is so thin and bare, in my opinion, that it's very hard. It's very hard to still make the argument that like you should be voting for Joe Biden and and uh and swing states. Like you should be doing this. You have to do this. Like it's just I don't know. It feels weird to me. <laughs> what are you saying? Vote for Matt Hunter as a write in? Fuck no. If I was to ever get engaged in politics, it would purely be from like an activist level, I think. Not from like a electoral standpoint, because I'm good. I'm good on that. That shit just sounds awful to me, let's be honest. This isn't a Glenn Beck, though, say how Joe Biden is going to destroy the Constitution. I, I'll i be honest. I I am thoroughly entertained by people like Dave Rubin, Glenn Beck, Tim Pool, that have been stating that Joe Biden is some like existential crisis for the Constitution. I love this. I think it's hilarious, to be honest. Let's listen to Glenn Beck be crazy, because, you know, he often is. If you vote... Oh, that is loud. ...for Joe Biden, or you don't vote, you are you are voting uh, for the destruction of the Constitution. <laughs> you are. I no wish. vote is a vote. You have to take a stand. This is... And I hate this phrase. Let me So let me change it. This is the last election under the Constitution of the United States as understood by the Founding Fathers if the Democrats win. This is the last time there will be a Supreme Court that actually decides what is constitutional and what is not. (laughs) Instead, it will be a rubber stamp to move all of this Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, unconstitutional bullcrap through. You will crap? lose the Electoral College. You will lose the filibuster. You will yeah, lose the Supreme that. Court of nine justices. Well, we're going to get more justices. This is what this so. is about. This is not about not Donald get Trump. rid of the court. Don't think this is about Donald Trump. This is about ending the United States of America as we know it. Here's, here's the thing. First off, I think we should absolutely get rid of our Constitution and get another one. I think that's been... Like, that argument on the left, I feel like, has already been set in stone. Like, yeah, our Constitution is woefully inadequate for today's time. It is... Um, it just needs a, a huge new renovation on it. Let's just be honest about it. And as we've seen in Chile, well, like you having a referendum to establish a new Constitution isn't unheard of in a Western society. Like, I... Also, do people that, like, legitimately argue that, like, we need to keep the Constitution forever fail to realize that our Constitution, our our current one, was not our Constitution always? Like, do people... And, like, look, Glenn Beck at least, like, has pretended to educate himself on the history of our, our founding. Like, he's written books on Thomas Paine that I think swayed me as a young kid. Um, and obviously, I've read now books by Harvey J.K. that swayed me the other way for obvious reasons because they were factual. 
Um, but there's Glenn, like Glenn Beck knows like Tarkovsky like, Confederation existed. Like he knows like we always we haven't always had the same document that has governed our country and determined how our country and state is set up. Like that hasn't always been the case that we've had our national constitution. So to act like we have to have this one, to me, is just a is purely ahistorical. Like it doesn't even track in very simple historical logic in our own country's history, let alone the history of like how constitutions are made. Right? Like if you go to back to like the Magna Carta and all the iterations of English constitutions that happen, it changes. Like this isn't a foreign concept in any way. So that's that's why I don't really get the hyperbole on the right as to why like getting a new constitution is such a horrendous thing. Also, that's not what Joe Biden wants to do. It's what many on the left do. There's a video on uh obviously Jacobin magazine. There's a leftist magazine, but they have a YouTube channel. I think everyone should go follow. They have really good videos, uh really good interviews as well. They did one about a week or so ago, maybe like two weeks ago now. About I think it's how like burn the constitution. So just type it on YouTube, Jacobin, burn the constitution. It's a really good uh, interview. I forget. I think it's Megan Day and someone else. I forget who the other person was that was being interviewed. One of the other writers of Jacobin uh, talking about why our constitution is inadequate, why it's archaic, why it even fails as like a pure governance test. Like how how well does it lead to governance in our country? It fails on that level. Uh, in many ways uh, as well. So, again, on the left, we've decided Constitution can be changed or be removed and we get a new one. I think we all kind of agree on that. Liberals, though, they don't agree on that at all. And also, the idea that like court packing, adding justices to the Supreme Court is going to irreversibly change the Constitution forever is just ridiculous, first off. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that in the Constitution doesn't even state that we have to have nine justices. Like that's something that we like did. Like we just like came up with the number. I want to say I think we even started out before with less ju- uh, justices. I could be wrong about that, but you know th- this idea that like adding Supreme Court judges will forever ruin the country or forever change the country, I also don't think it tracks, like, logically speaking. Like, the idea of, like, adding more, like, overall senators or representatives isn't an idea that, like, fundamentally changes our country. These are very, like, lighthearted reforms on our system. You know what I mean? Like, the idea of, like, this being a revolutionary social change by Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, just makes no sense because a they don't want to get rid of a constitution, and what they probably do want, which is court packing, isn't changing our constitution and is a very minor reform that even Republicans have talked about at times as well. So I, again, I fundamentally don't understand how. Their audience, speaking like Glenn Beck's audience, Temple's audience, how they eat this shit up. Because again, it doesn't track in any rational sense. Saying, <laughs> so don't give Trump ideas. I don't know what idea did I give him. I'm curious. 
Um, just an update. There was a massive earthquake in Greece. By the way, people, uh, it was a 7.0 earthquake that hit Greece and Turkey. There was uh, collapsed buildings in the circus city of Izmir. The people trapped inside, the two countries have pledged to assist each other despite tensions. No deaths have been reported so far, though I, that might have been changed. Uh, yeah, it hasn't changed. Up to, at least four people have died. Um, six people have died. See, that's going to keep going up. Uh, but keep an eye out on that. Let's see how... A, obviously, these two countries handle each other. Greece and Turkey, two countries that do not get along. Two countries that may have recently been politically aligning, but that has possibly been changed with the outlawing of Golden Dawn, which I don't know for sure had ties to Erdogan or Erdogan was in favor of that group, but I would assume. I don't know that for sure. I need probably need, I probably need to look that up, but it wouldn't be shocking, uh, to be honest. Oh, Reba's saying Trump packing the court if he wins. I, I mean, they can do it, too. Like, that's, like, the thing that I don't get. The issue with... And I've heard this before. Like, um, like Trump could have used a like, War Powers Act, right, to greatly uh, increase our national response to COVID. The reason why he didn't is because that would leave the door for, let's say, like, a Bernie Sanders, like, administration to say we need to enact war powers act to completely change our social order and to create worker ownership or the means of production right like it would leave the door open to things that are beyond war and that i think has led a lot of pundits i know a lot of uh, uh people that you know are in the commentary circle Say that this, that's the reason why Trump always and overall Republicans back down on a lot of those things, so they don't want to leave the door open for a populist left wing to come in and to enact like FDR style New Deal economic order, right? Like that's sort of the 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 thinking. But I'm of the mindset that that's ridiculous. Like if Trump wants to enact this stuff, or if he wants to engage in certain po- uh, political games that the left could use at some point or the liberals could use at some point he would the, the right would they have done this before the right doesn't care okay the right will uh, depending on the very specific situation will enact whatever strategy it needs to win end of story okay so they need if they need to contradict themselves like we've seen in Amy Coney Barrett they can do that that's not a hard thing to do okay um, likewise with court packing Likewise with War Powers Act. Okay, the reason why Trump didn't do it in that instance, I think, because he didn't want to seem like he was, like COVID was affecting not only him, but like obviously his um, approval rating. I think that's why. He was just too scared. He, did, I think Trump froze, to be honest. The more and more thing about his COVID reaction, I think that he just froze out pure terror and cowardness. That's why he didn't do anything. Like even like his uh, his um, travel ban on China was like that's non-existent. That's not that didn't actually happen. It was absolutely business travel that was allowed from China to the to America always. That was never actually banned. Um, let's let's play some Tim Pool and uh, Vosh Vosh clips because look, I'm not 
here's my one disclaimer. Vosh, I think, has a lot of very, I'm going to use these buzzwords, very toxic takes, very toxic opinions. Um, I, I haven't watched, again, enough of him to have a like complete opinion about the guy yet. Um, he calls himself a libertarian socialist. That always bugs me. I know like it's just a part of like reclaiming um, libertarianism to a degree. Cool. I, I guess you can do it. Like, food does that. It's like my co-host does that. It's like, I can't be too mad about it. But that shit bugs the hell out of me. I'm sorry. Um, he calls himself an anarchist at times as well. He has definitely hated on communism. Not Marxism, but he's hated on communism, which I, I find find interesting. And he definitely has had a lot of anti-LGBTQ plus um, takes. There's a lot of clips out there of him having some very transphobic and homophobic responses, statements, whatever it may be. So... Again, disclaimer on Vosh being a representative of the left. I've had friends in this space tell me, look, he's not perfect, but he's definitely an ally. So I, I don't know. I Obviously, in terms of this debate with Tim Pool, I thought he did a very decent job. I thought not, That's why I'm um, underrating it. I thought he did a, a very, very well, a very um, a well well-researched responses to all of Temple's questions. And he was also combative of Temple, which I liked. I liked that Vosh came at Temple for being far right-wing YouTuber. I liked that Vosh came at him for having a very clear bias in his channel um, and just not really putting up with the bullshit. I, I respect that from Vosh to a degree. And I do think he did it in a way that was calm enough that he can get his points across and you don't have the right-wing Tim Pool fans going, oh, look at him triggered. I think Vosh very expertly dismantled a lot of Tim Pool's questions and talking points and did a great job, honestly. like Even though he's toxic in a lot of ways, let's just be honest about it, he did a great job in this debate with Tim Pool, especially when it comes to critical race theory, which... Oh my god, this this is so good. I'm so glad to play with this. Tim Pool defining critical race theory. I might play it twice, by the way, guys. The, the point is, you have Donald Trump, who just recently banned critical race theory, and any company that that, that does critical race theory trainings is banned from contracting with the government, yeah, and it's actually insane. reversing this. Well, that's fantastic. Critical race theory is neo-segregationist. It's, 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 it's overly... Can you describe <laughs> is that word again? So... <laughs> In he layman's definitely terms, no I'm not, I don't have the academic def- definition up uh, pulled pull up for you, but specifically like critical race uh, privilege plus power, whiteness, <laughs> minorities, white uh, traits of whiteness would Just be words. specifically like hard work, scheduling. I'll tell you, I'll, t- I'll tell you this: the tenets of critical race theory. Though I've definitely done segments on the over academic definition of it, I don't have it pulled up. But when they put out a, a list that says whiteness, uh, they, they say things like down with whiteness. Um, traits of whiteness include schedules, hard work, planning for the future, 2.5 kids, and all of those things. This is listing the one <laughs> Smithsonian Museum pamphlet that was passed out and largely criticized. 
Critical race by, theory criticized by who? It was it was in the Smithsonian for decades. By ever, that specific pamphlet, no, it was not. This pamphlet you're referring to right now, I know because I covered on my stream and made fun of it as well. Uh, no, it was made specifically. Probably some new in student or somebody who was in their twenties made it. It got taken away almost immediately afterwards, following bad reception. To pretend that this is indicative of an entire academic theory. Hold on, hold on. I mean, I mean, I mean, play the guy. It's so good. That's not over yet. Oh, let me play it. Let me finish it and then I'm gonna play, play it again because it's so good. It's so good. Very silly. I, I learned critical race theory in sociology. That was my major. It's very, very simple. Critical race theory is just the racialized element of critical theory. That is to say, you analyze racial relations based on distinctive power relationships between different groups. So, so how about... how? And also, like, uh, critical race theory um, greatly focuses on, like, legal frameworks and how like um sort of systemically we have institutionalized like racism like that's that's also an aspect to it as well um i'm play it again though because it is so fucking good the, po with the, the point is you have donald trump who just recently banned critical race theory so and good. any company that co that that does critical race theory trainings Inject is banned this from into my government yeah, mainline reversing this, this. Well, that's fantastic. Critical race theory is neo-segregationist. It's, it's, it's over. You describe to me There's that word again. <laughs> so, in layman's terms, I'm not. Gonna, I don't have the academic def definition up uh, pulled pull up for you, but specifically like uh, privilege plus power, whiteness, <laughs> minorities, white uh, traits of whiteness would be specifically like hard work, scheduling. I'll tell you. I'll, t I'll tell you this: the tenets of critical race theory. Though I've definitely done segments on the over academic definition of, of it, I don't have it pulled it's up. So but when they that. put out a, a list that says whiteness, uh, they, they say things like "down with whiteness." Um, traits of whiteness include schedules, hard work, planning for the future, two point five kids, you're, and all of those things. You're just listing the one <laughs> Smithsonian Museum pamphlet that was passed out and largely criticized. Critical race theory criticized by who? It was, everyone, it was in the Smithsonian. Everyone, for the left, that academia. That pamphlet, no, it was not. This pamphlet you're referring to right now, I know because I covered on my stream and made fun of it as well. Uh, no, it was made specifically. Probably some new in student or somebody who was in their twenties made it. It got taken away almost immediately afterwards, following bad reception. To pretend that this is indicative of an entire academic theory is very silly. I I learned critical race theory in sociology. That was my major. It's very very simple. Critical race theory is just the racialized element of critical theory. That is to say, you analyze racial relations based on distinctive power relationships between different groups. So, so how about how? I'm gonna play some more clips. It's so good. And here's another one about. No, this one. Yeah, okay. This one's about like the authoritarianism factor of like Trump trying to ban critical race theory, right? Which is fucking asinine. I disagree on racializing it, but I will say this. If we agree on, on, on that point, then it sounds like what Trump did isn't terrifying. In fact, would just be a matter for the courts. So if Trump wants to say this is illegal because I believe it is and you believe it isn't, then the real issue is not despotism. The real issue is, okay, you file your lawsuit. It'll go to the courts. We'll interpret, determine whether or not it is a violation of Title VII. No, I can't accept that because, first of all, if it's already illegal, then they should be able to file court cases just based on the evidence they already have. They wouldn't need an executive order to give them the additional justification. Well, Additionally, when he talks about critical race theory, when, when Trump, when the Republicans, whatever, they aren't talking about like this 
very narrow set of cringy diversity, uh, uh, you know, training practices. They're talking about a broad ideology that is infesting and de-Americanizing people to make them hate whiteness, to hate this country, to hate their race, whatever. And these things, uh, frankly, we should call them what they are, blatant authoritarian fear-mongering. And when we kowtow to it by saying, okay, well, we'll let the courts deal with it. Okay, well, in some cases, maybe the worst iteration of these diversity training things could conceivably be a violation of that law. We are abetting authoritarian. By the way, uh, Tim Pool's co-host is going to make a few comments on this one, and it's great because his name is like Moon Lord or something. I forget his name. Uh, I think his name is actually something else, but people call him Moon Lord. And he is like you're like if you are really like into politics and you are engaged in political discourse online all that stuff right like you are highly into this shit you're watching this show you obviously care about politics to some degree you probably maybe even care about leftist politics to some degree right most likely you do if you watch this show you know when you talk to like you're like normal like your normie friend who doesn't care about politics too much, but like kind of knows a few things and like probably watch some Alex Jones as well. So like that's a little bit in, in their um, framework. That is Tim Pool's co-host and he is amazing. He is, has some awful takes sometimes, but he is amazing. You Racism. And that is something I can't allow. I would rather a country where these policies continue and some are terrible and we slowly change them via process of existing law than one where the president of the united states of america apparently operating on poor information unilaterally decides to just shut it all down that is a very dangerous precedent but this is within the confines of our existing government what the president has the authority to do and there are means of rectifying it if it is a violation of the law yeah sure but that doesn't so, mean it's not authoritarian yeah, it's some bad authority so, with yeah like, like it's exactly act and stuff yeah just because like, he has the no, authority no, 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 doesn't no, no, mean no. it's right no no no. you go moon lord we have a system that it, for one is imperfect but it's good in the sense that if trump does something he gets sued all the time and he's lost several times and in my opinion I do not like the idea that there would be a government program, uh, a government training program telling people that whiteness is inherently this, that, or I, I wonder else. what's white. Like, are you white? You're Asian. No, so that's not a critical race theory. <laughs> he still thinks it's a fucking, um, that pamphlet. It's so great. Um, we're going to play this one about what about No, we'll skip it. We'll skip it. I, I would say it's a long debate. But it, there is some good stuff there, especially if, like, you have a friend that is a, like, Joe Rogan, Tim Pool, Alex Jones, um, Ben Shapiro, Dave Rubin, Sam Harris type of fan, right? It was good. It was, I think, it would be a, a, a decent debate or a conversation to sort of de-radicalize, uh, I think, some, like, right-wing YouTube listeners and watchers, to be quite honest. We're, this is going to be the last thing we watch, and then we're going to head out of here. It's a new video from Three Arrows, uh, a channel that obviously I play a lot of clips from and I'm a big fan of. I've not seen this video yet. Uh, I know, I think Heath sent me it in the group chat. So shout out to Heath Farley. I think he sent it to me. Um, he's a big fan of the channel as well. Let's watch it. <clears throat> I think there's a terrible angst on the land, a sense that something ugly is about to happen. An hour-to-hour feeling of nervous anticipation. Hunter S. Thompson wrote this years ago about the election of 1968, anticipating a victory by Richard Nixon. I thought about this sentence more and more in the last couple of weeks or months. 
it feels weird being at least somewhat engaged in political commentary at this specific moment in time. I struggled a bit finding something that I deem worth saying, something you might find useful to the current moment, but it didn't really work out. I already had read like three books for the last video I had planned before realizing that while I might find that topic interesting to talk about, the moment for that, you know, isn't now. I want to be as efficient as I can with the time you guys give me, and I struggle to make that topic in particular worthy of that. Judging from the comments and messages I'm getting, quite a few in my audience share this um, feeling of tension when looking at US politics right now. Of course, the last four years or the time before that wasn't great. It did not feel particularly good reading the news then either, especially in situations where things could have gone a much different direction, like the US coming close to war with Iran, to name just one example. For many marginalized people in the US, that feeling is probably constant, given the current administration's approach to things like transgender rights, healthcare, or police brutality. I have the luck of currently not living in the country whose political landscape my channel largely revolves around. But of course, we're all connected in a way. For instance, when the US pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord, our far-right party here in Germany took that as a signal to voice more of their climate change denialism talking points. In German politics, it is sometimes said that everything that happens in the US occurs in Germany too, only 10 years later. Hmm. I seriously hope that doesn't ring true for the upcoming decade though. My apologies if I'm coming off as a bit of a doomer here, but seeing the most powerful person in the history and look i'm not like too aware of like the german people's perception of uh merkel right but my perception is that she's pretty she's pretty run-of-the-mill like like social like social democrat like european social democrat you know what i mean so i don't know if that is again here we would love that right but i i don't know how successful that is in europe at this point in time where I do feel like Europe's ahead of us in some ways, which isn't too shocking. Um, in the fact that they are largely more of a social democratic society. And it is still, in a lot of ways, a, a continent, an area, society of deep inequality. Whether it be racial, whether it be economic, those frameworks still exist vastly throughout Europe. So the, the public response to neoliberalism, because you can argue that social, Demo uh, social Democrats are, are neoliberal to some degree as well. I wouldn't maybe not make that argument, but for the sake of this conversation, let's include the sort of general monolithic view of European politics uh, as neoliberal to some degree, and especially in conjunction with the spectrum of European politics. At what point do those masses, the working classes in Europe, really start picking up and looking at how even their version of society isn't enough you know um that would be that'd be interesting to see because i do think 
Europe, like I said, is ahead of us in a lot of ways. They have a more egalitarian society and economic order because uh, a lot of their uh, economic systems are all derived from like Edward Bernstein's evolutionary socialism. Right? It's that. It's the same fucking policies and programs. It's the same shit. Like the NHS, like the Labor Party, like especially like the Tony Blair era, which um, we don't like <laughs> on the left. Uh, that's all Edward Bernstein right there, man. That's all Social Democratic Party of Germany uh, programs. Like, like one for one almost, right? Um, and again, I don't think it's been enough. Like I, like, I know people in the UK, like, they aren't, like, living on the life because they have some reformist policies that gives them some benefits. It's not enough. That's the reality. Um, combat sports highlight in the chat saying Trump is the best president ever. No, he's not. That's just empirically not true. Um, like what? How are we rating that? Uh, and saying he has the best. He has the economy booming. I mean, that's just not like again empirically not true. There's like forty million people facing forced evictions. That his rubber stamp. Well, not rubber stamp. I should say it's the band aid of a eviction moratorium really didn't deal with. No, economy's not booming. But it's weird how he says that, but then he later says in the chat right now that at least in England and Spain, etc., you have free health care. USA is straight shit. <laughs> I'm so confused. Uh, that's great. Uh, let's keep playing the video. Of the planet denying the Trump thing is a joke, but capitalism is much better in Europe. Capitalism in Europe is far more reformed and regulated because of the social democratic policies that those countries institute. But like I kind of was stating, you still have massive wealth inequality in those countries. So like it fundamentally hasn't changed the social order. You get what I'm trying to say? Like maybe people in the UK have obviously greater uh, social safety nets than us, right? In the US, like we, you, you even agree with them in the chat. So like you, you know this. I think we can just we can move past that point, right? So where like the sort of poorest person in the UK is starting off is automatically better than the poorest person in the US, right? But there still is that gigantic wealth gap, okay? That gigantic political gap that we have, people that have political sort of wealth or clout compared to people that don't. And often that is... in direct tandem with obviously economic class and economic clout, economic wealth, right? So, yes, I think that we can often agree that people in Europe are much better off in a lot of ways because they have far larger uh, social safety nets than us in the U.S. But that economic disorder in terms of the inequality still exists there, Okay. (laughs) 
Reeves saying Matt has Che Guevara on his back. Always. Always. Shout out to Che, man. Legend. Um, if you haven't read, like, Castro's autobiography, or not autobiography, biography, which was written by kind of a uh, kind of run-the-mill lib, to be honest, but it's actually a really good autobiography. Uh, not auto, sorry. Biography. Uh, I forget who wrote it. It's pretty good. I listened to a little bit of the audiobook. Um, but I want to buy it and read it. I'm, I, I'll be honest. I have a real hard time with audiobooks. I need to always buy physical copies and like take notes and stuff. Otherwise, I forget shit. I'll be honest. Um, but back to my point about Europe. At some point, like we've seen, like public disorder or a public protest, right in Paris. Like those never stop, right? <laughs> those motherfuckers never stop rioting. I love them. Um, like that's. That's because of that economic inequality is still there. You know? Like, there's a huge argument, people. Okay? And I... <laughs> this might be a weird argument, but, like, the reasons that we had, like, the French Revolution, where, like, 1.6% of the entire country owned everything, right? That largely hasn't changed. Well, let's just be honest about it. Like, that largely hasn't changed. Maybe it's more like um, 20% own everything. But that's still a ma- that's still a huge minority. Or, sorry, very small minority, I should say, compared to the massive majority. Um, and at some point, like, that has to be reconciled. At some point, like, that's where, like, the, the very Marxian in me comes out, and I just go, at some point, that social revolution or violent revolution has to take place, okay? Because people, by design, when they get pressed over and over again, lash back. And when you add generational oppression on top of it, right? Generational um, subjugation, economic subjugation, then fuck yeah, that's going to really respond violently, Okay? That's just how it is. I don't see any other way. Um, combat sports highlights. How much in your utopic, utopic, or is it just utopia? It's hard to read right now. World should uh should make a doctor and a teacher. Are trying to say how much in my world should a doctor and teacher make? Uh, I mean, I don't think doctors and teachers are paid poorly in social system socialist systems now to some degree. Um like Cuba has a great healthcare program why cuz they uh massively um push and fund people to be doctors. Um they give them the economic and educational sort of safety net to do that, right? So I mean, how, what's like the magic number? I don't know. I, I I I don't think that really matters as much. I think those doctors and teachers not being uh, subjected to private corporations, I think, is like what my utopia is, right? Like when I think about doctors and how much they should make i don't think that matters i think in whatever society we envision doctors and teachers are 
really important jobs, so they're going to be taken care of, obviously. Whatever that number is, I don't think it matters, but they're going to be taken care of. Uh, what matters is that they're not subjected to, like, big pharma. Right? Like, that's a big deal, in my opinion. Like, we need to completely take out the, and like, abolish the, the private uh, industry of medicine. Because that is disgusting. Uh, combat sports highlights, and I don't think teachers are taken care of. They're not taken care of here, right? But that's often because politicians, corporations, push for charter schools, right? So we undermine our, our public education over and over again. We defund our public education over and over again. So, like, public education can be amazing in this country, to be honest. It's just not led by people that want to fund it and take care of it. Um, it's also, we also have a system in the country, not system, we have a country led by politicians that largely want a private system of education. Uh, trust me, as somebody that went to private school, I I know all about charter schools. I, I it is a massive money-making uh, machine. If it's obviously a Christian school, you got some tax write-offs there automatically. Massive ones. So it's it's one of those things where like teachers and a lot of other societies are taken care of, not ours, right? Our, our like deeply capitalistic societies often don't have uh, teachers being paid well. But I think in my utopia, as you are asking, absolutely teachers would get taken care of. But in our country, that the reason why teachers are sort of like always in battle, like the teachers' unions are always in battle because they're battling charter schools. That's why. They're chartering the defunding of their uh, programs. And where does that money go? It goes towards the police unions, which are just fucking gangs. It goes towards the police stations and police departments. It goes towards um, the militarization of our society. Like, for example, uh, uh, <laughs> Rebus. God, that was a good troll, man. That was a good one. Um, saying the teachers at Trump University were taken care of generously. Fuck out of here, man. That's the... <laughs> I lost my train of thought now. God damn it. What was I saying? What was I saying? <sighs> Fuck. What was I saying? I forgot. Hold on. Somebody in the chat will tell me, let me know what I was talking about. God damn it. Rebus. Which I think it's I think that's Scott from the, in the, in a burner account. Scott, I don't think I blocked you in your other account. I just think I give you a timeout, right? Or did I block you? If I did, I apologize. Um Fuck, what was I talking about? It pisses me off now. I'm talking about like schools and teachers and getting paid and, and dealing with charter schools. I think I kind of said everything I needed to say on that subject. Unless like Combat Sports Highlights, you have any other questions about that. But, I mean, and also, for example, oh, I remember what I was going to say. Militarization. Thank you. Uh, for example, in LA, our budget was like, Forget how much it was for our education in LA or like our, our uh, for teachers, right? It was very small. It was in the millions, right? 
think it was in the millions. The police uh, county budget was, or was it city budget? I think it was, I forget which one, if it was county or city, regardless, was three billion with a B, with a B. Come on, man. Come on. So, in my utopia, I think we shouldn't have armies literally patrolling our streets everywhere that are trying to literally hunt down people to make them subjected economically to society. All right. Or to the state. I mean, to society, to, to the state. That shit should be defunded. All that money should be going to teachers and hospitals. That's what I think. Like, if we defunded all police departments by half and just put all that money, again, by half, one half of that money going to uh, public education, the other half going to uh, public hospitals. Like, it's not hard. Legalize drugs, yeah. Legalize all drugs, all recreational drugs. You should legalize them. Tax them. It's not that hard. And then you get rid of all of those unnecessary people in our prison industrial complex, and that's a huge step towards prison abolition. Awesome. Let's keep playing this clip, though. I totally forgot about this clip from Three Arrows. I apologize. I got on a tangent. You guys got me arguing about school. To guarantee a peaceful transition of power... And priming his followers to oh. doubt any election results that does not have for the upcoming decade, though. My apologies if I'm coming off as a bit of a doomer here, but seeing the most powerful person in the history of the planet denying to guarantee a peaceful transition of power and priming his followers to doubt any election results that does not have him as the winner. To doubt is even putting it too mild. It's seeing them as de facto illegitimate. That has me wondering if this is what it feels like when... American democracy is circling the drain. And that's what I wanted to talk about, because that feeling of nervous anticipation is justified. Although, I should say, I don't think if there is a coup attempt, it will be like in the movies. Trump will not just declare the election illegitimate and have his political opponents arrested by the military or any scenario like that. I don't think that is very realistic. One reason for that is that for this movement, compared to other authoritarian ones that came to power, the veneer of democratic legitimacy is essential. In Italy or Germany, democracy was framed by the right as a weak and ineffective form of government. Many of them argued for what they called a guided democracy, where you still had a voice, but one guy would take care of the stuff that had to be dealt with immediately. That approach worked on many people because the circumstances were different. But today, Trump coming out saying democracy is a weak form of government, I don't think that would fly with the majority of Americans. It would fly with some, but... Look, here's the thing. Now, he said this, I don't know when he recorded this video, right, and posted it. It shouldn't have been too long ago, because, I mean, like, how much editing does it take just to record a voice and put this on? It shouldn't be that much, right? Uh... I mean, how many, like, we had Mark Meadows come out and say, like, we're not a democracy. We had, who else come out and say that we're not a democracy? We had another person, right? Like, we've had, like, a few politicians lately, I feel like, on the right come out and say, no, we're not a democracy. Like, a preemptively saying, like, no, that's not what we are. So, I, I don't know, man. I don't know Three Arrows. I don't know Dan. 
Why isn't his name Dan? I think his name is Dan, right? Dan from Three Hours. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I think they've already done this. I think that there largely wasn't that reaction as much. Like there wasn't a mass protest in the streets in D.C. calling for his resignation. Like that, that didn't happen when he said, and he or he said or his cronies said, "We're not a democracy." Not many. Framing yourself as the voice of a majority of Americans still is important. And we see that all the time when Trump talks about the silent majority, right? If there will be an attempt to steal this election by the Republicans, it requires above all uncertainty. Uncertainty about which votes are legitimate and uncertainty about the margins between the two candidates. This starts with who has the soft... Heath in the chat saying he would fly with 30%. You're right. But that's maybe all he needs. Because here's the deal, right? Like, that 30% can also include the military. Let's be honest about it. And on top of it, the, the movement that's been created to oppose him is one built on neoliberal civility. That type of movement is always, always woefully inadequate when fighting fascism, right? And in this hypothetical, right, we're talking about Trump staying in office if he if he loses the election, right? Like that's the hypothetical we're talking about. If that happens, I don't think we have this like liberal left coalition rise up on the streets. And 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 dispose him right like that just doesn't happen in my mind. I feel like we have the left attempt to do that, and the liberals mainly just like do nothing. Like that's my fear, and it's one that is I'll be honest built through a lot of historical events where like that just seems to be the reoccurring thing, like like the Spartacus uprising in Germany. Um, I, I feel like it would be very reminiscent of that to some degree. Though not a one-for-one analog, of course, because it's not. But, again, when we talk about like that 30% will completely be in favor of Trump doing this, How? what's the percent of the country that will be absolutely militantly, like militantly responding to this scenario? Because that's what it would take, right? I mean, maybe like Three Hours talks about in, later in the video how like we won't need that. But I... I don't know how else you deal with fascism, especially when it comes to that overt fascism, other than a militant response. And historically speaking, that militant response has always been from a minority left movement that gets completely squashed by the sort of the liberal fascist coalition that gets formed as a result, because they are still united in capital against us. Sovereignty of interpretation. Is there someone who can definitively say X candidate is ahead by this amount of points and who most people believe? In the years before this election, Associated Press served this function. They had direct access to polling stations and gave a somewhat clear picture of the situation. This year, AP left the national election pool and is calculating the numbers directly for Fox and for the New York Times. Those left in the national election pool give their numbers to CNN and other TV stations. So the risk of different results making the rounds on election night is already higher than before. Republicans have, of course, been working overtime delegitimizing mail-in ballots. And just to be clear on this, 
The reason why there is this much of a fuss about mail-in ballots is solely to create uncertainty. An authoritative report by the nonpartisan Brennan Center for Justice calculated the voter fraud rate in three elections between 0.0003% and 0.0025%. It is just a fig leaf for Republicans to launch a whole number of legal cases with the goal of throwing away votes in large numbers because more Democrats vote by mail than Republicans. They do this through purging voter rolls, tightening rules on provisional votes, banning the use of ballot drop boxes, or outlawing the counting of ballots postmarked by election day, but arriving afterwards. Another tool is sabotaging the postal service by service cuts or upper management restructuring. To get a little more concrete on this, the Supreme Court just ruled that mail-in ballots in the state of Wisconsin only should be counted if they arrive before or on election day. If they are stamped on election day, that is not enough. The ruling in itself isn't that noteworthy, but the reasoning Justice Kavanaugh gave is. This comes courtesy of the New York Times. In his opinion, attached to the 5-3 to ruling against the deadline extension in Wisconsin, Justice Kavanaugh wrote that election day mail-in deadlines were devised to avoid the chaos and suspicions of impropriety that can ensue if thousands of absentee ballots flow in after election day and potentially flip the results of an election. He added, those states also want to be able to definitively announce the results of the election on election night or as soon as possible thereafter. Justice Kavanaugh's statement mirrored in some ways Mr. Trump's efforts to suggest that only ballots counted by election day should decide the result and more generally to push unfounded claims about widespread voter fraud. The words used by Justice Kavanaugh here are very telling, especially the section about mail-in ballots flipping the result of an election. It implies that mail-in ballots coming in after election day aren't part of the result. It is very concerning to say the least when you consider that in Wisconsin, 23,000 votes made the difference in 2016. A US election where the margins are very close and the results disputed is also not without precedent. In 1876, the Democratic candidate Samuel Tilden received 184 electoral votes and the Republican Rutherford B. Hayes received 165, while 20 electoral votes from four states were unresolved. Both parties claimed victory in three of those four states, and the issue was only resolved through an informal deal between the parties. A more recent similar example would, of course, be the presidential election in 2000, where the Supreme Court stopped the recount of votes in Florida and thereby made George W. Bush the winner of the election. It doesn't invoke confidence in the Supreme Court thinking back to that disaster and knowing that three sitting Supreme Court justices worked for the side of Bush in that case. Roberts, Kavanaugh, and now Amy Coney Barrett. That is not an accident. The goal of creating this amount of uncertainty and calling mail-in ballots into question is delaying the calling of states until Safe Harbor Day, which is December 8th. If that happens, theoretically speaking, the states themselves might decide who receives their electoral votes. And in case you didn't know, Republicans hold a majority in Arizona, Florida, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Although admittedly in a scenario like that it becomes pretty hazy because the governors can also appoint electors, it would be a nightmare. But before we go any further, this is the absolute worst case scenario. Biden might also win by such a significant margin that the Republicans are denied this election meddling route. That's entirely possible. 
Still, I also worry that a Biden landslide might cause many left-leaning people to stop caring about politics, which would be bad. The damage already done to American institutions will be a concern for the left for decades to come. We don't even have to mention the Supreme Court. Just look at how many judges Trump put on the federal courts. This comes courtesy of a Financial Times article titled How Trump Has Already Transformed America's Courts. Mr. Trump's four years in office have allowed Republican lawmakers to dramatically reshape the U.S. judicial system by installing right-wing judges at a pace almost unmatched in American history. Mr. Trump's judges, carefully selected for their ideological bona fides, have already begun to reshape U.S. law in a more conservative direction on issues as wide-ranging as gun control, voting rights, environmental protections, abortion, and immigration. This judiciary will be a bulwark against progressive change in the U.S., be it on voting rights, labor, or social issues. It is not hard to imagine what difference a judiciary like this makes in an even more heated political climate. We don't even have to imagine, because that is a problem Germany also had in its interwar years. In fact, the first German democracy had a psychotically far-right judiciary. The stats on this are a bit iffy, because a left-wing statistician collected them, but the general trend very much holds true. Richard Evans also brings this up in his Third Reich trilogy. Case in point, 22 political murders committed by left-wing offenders from 1919 to 1922 led to 38 convictions, including 10 executions and prison sentences, averaging 15 years apiece. By contrast, according to this statistician, the 354 political murders committed by right-wing offenders <laughs> led to 24 convictions, no executions at all, what? and prison sentences averaging a mere four what? months apiece. 23 of those right-wing murderers who confessed to their crimes were acquitted by the courts regardless. That is not oh to say God. that all damage is already done and the election doesn't matter because... He said that was, what, 1919 to like 1920-something in Germany, right? Is that what he said? Which is what... Um, like the in-between space between World War One and the Weimar Republic, which was led by Gustav Nosk and Friedrich Ebert, was it that? Is that what he said? That would explain it because they they viciously persecuted the right. I mean, not the right, sorry, the left, even though they were technically social democrats. There is quite a material difference between a Biden and a Trump presidency short term or long term and if you can't see that difference i think you are highly misguided to say the least however i believe that this is mostly an online phenomenon if you're looking for advice on what to do in one of the scenarios i just described i'd highly recommend the work of the folks over on the majority report they have discussed this in much more detail and also possible responses including but not limited to a general strike my apologies if you were hoping for something more positive regarding the election, but I'm looking at this as nervous as everyone else is. I do hope, though, that this video ages horribly and I can unlist it in a couple of weeks. One upside is that Biden is currently favored to win and the scenario of a Trump landslide seems like an incredible long shot. But we'll see. Me personally, I will not be live streaming on election night like many others are, but there will be a... I guess watch party in my discord where I and other like-minded folks will play video games, probably drink a lot and watch the states come in. You can find the link for that in the description. That's about all I have election wise. Uh, one good thing did come out of my frustration with current US politics though. I finally landed on a topic to kick off my history podcast with. Many political commentators who try to find a word for this sense of dread about upcoming political developments land on Weimar. 
I've lost count about how often I have seen someone compare the US right now to Germany before the Nazi revolution. I made it myself even numerous times, including in this video. Historical yeah, comparisons do. are never perfect, but I do feel like it is worth having an idea of how German democracy died in the current political moment. So if you're looking for some additional content, you can check out my podcast called The Iron Dice. It's an immersive history podcast narrated by yours truly. The first series of episodes will take you through the political struggles of Weimar Germany, starting at the collapse of the old Bismarckian Empire at the end of World War I, over the open carnage in the streets of Berlin, all the way to the dawn of Germany's darkest hour. You can find that on my second YouTube channel or everywhere podcasts can be found. And with that, thank you sincerely. Oh, I don't have a second YouTube channel. I'm going to go subscribe after. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to be it for today. Uh, we're going to get after. I was going to do the whole fake Melania like shit, but no, I, I have more self-respect than Fugati and Heath and all of you fuckers in the chat. Private chat. It's not the public chat, thank God. You guys. You guys. <sighs> Anyways. Uh, what are we going to have here? Uh, everyone go check out the last episode of the documentary series that just came out. Uh, the age, sorry, the rise of capitalism and is it revolutionary enlightenment? I think I lucked out because it was longer at one point. The title was originally the rise of capitalism and the age of revolutionary enlightenment, but that was too long. So I took out the age of, but go check out that last documentary episode that was just published yesterday. Uh, I, I'm really proud of it, and I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I enjoyed researching it and producing it. It took months and months to make, but it was it was worth it. It's, it's, it's really good, I think, and I don't think there's a lot of content like that out there on YouTube. Uh, everyone have a great day, great night, great evening. Uh, obviously, it's Halloween tomorrow, so stay safe out there. If you're protesting, stay safe out there, but fuck up the system. Uh, I'm maybe... Most likely, I don't know quite yet because I don't have anyone going with me right now. That's like a buddy that always makes me like cautious to go to protests. But there is a counter protest to a Proud Boys rally in uh, I think Beverly Hills tomorrow that I may be attending. So yes, I would I would I would do what I can, but I'm probably not gonna go if I can't find anyone to go with me because I'm not dumb. Uh, guys, have a great day. Great night, like I said. Uh, fuck the police. Free Palestine. And stay safe. Peace.